Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 289, Miles Tirade, recorded April 30th, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the vacationing podcast, where geeks rant. Um, this is another one of our um, out-of-sync um, messages from the past. We are still... Um, on vacation, Miles is traveling the globe. I think he's somewhere in Saskatchewan right about now. Um, and uh, we're, uh, but we, we didn't want you to be without content. So we have yet another 10 minute tirade. This time it's Miles' turn. But uh, before we do that, let me introduce to you your favorite co hosts and mine, Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson and Miles the World Traveler Wakeham. Hey, gentlemen. Greetings from the past. Hail to the future. And about this time, I'm in Tuscany, Italy. Okay, actually. Tuscany. Yeah. So I'm getting wasted on Chianti or something. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I am uh, hearing hail above me, so that's fun. Yeah, uh, just just so you know, it just started. Um, so this week uh, for our beginning, Seth wanted to throw us some news stories because that that's what he does best. But in this case, these are entirely fake news stories, and we're going to have entirely re- real reactions to them. Ready, go. Okay, so we are recording a show for the future. So what I did was I put on my thinking cap and my tinfoil turning inside out to see if I could get some future waves. And I am taking a guess at what the news could possibly be in the future. So from the Element OP Newswire, Bitcoin recovers from a crash and sets new all-time high at $1,745.78. Following a tumultuous week that started um, with the leak last month that claimed Donald Trump was the enigmatic Satoshi Nakamoto and ended with seemingly everyone in China dumping their Bitcoins after this was proving true, (laughs) Bitcoin not only survived the drop in price to under $100, but started a strong climb that has yet to stop. At first, the Donald played dumb at even knowing who Nakamoto was. But later in the week, someone in his inner circle leaked the audio of a meeting that heard President Trump not only reference the white papers attributed to Nakamoto, but also discuss the C++ programming issues at the heart of the Bitcoin protocol. Once confronted with this, President Trump dropped the act and proclaimed how huge Bitcoin specifically, but all cryptocurrencies were going to be. It was following this that the price of Bitcoin started crashing as first liberals, then the Chinese started dumping all their Bitcoin holdings. Then the Trump effect started kicking in as the disenfranchised started creating wallets and jumping in. The big business got in on the act following executive orders that define Bitcoin as both a legal digital currency and asset in the United States of America. Current projections for the price of Bitcoin from the experts vary from $2,000 to $25,000 by the end of the year. More our updates are sure to come and early in the week uh when things first started to crash i bought uh seven thousand dollars worth of bitcoin uh at uh, i didn't get in on the very low it was 150 uh but uh, i put in uh, a, a huge buy order there and i'm now actually retiring uh, to my own private island uh this will be the last uh, element op podcast i like money <laughs> <laughs> The, the other than uh, the Donald being a programmer, so much of that was plausible, Seth. Well done. 
But how do you know he's not? Maybe this is his secret plan to become the richest man in the world. He learned the language, taught himself, developed the protocol with some friends, of course. But and then he played dumb, and then at the right time he released it. It could very well. It could happen. Still, here's we the don't reason. Know. Here's the reason I don't buy that because he couldn't go that long without bragging about it. If it was for billions of dollars, I bet he could. Well, he's already got billions. But this would be more billions. <laughs> That's the thing so, about billionaires. They want, you know what's better than a million? A billion. What's better than a billion? A trillion. Um, okay. So anyway, you know, I mean, come on. That's, I, I thought, I thought, you know, come on, this would be a great story if it happened. So, you know, hey, maybe you could get in on it now and buy your Bitcoin early. Buy early, buy often. I have right? actually seen real predictions of Bitcoin 25,000, by the way. Oh, yeah. The, and some people are claiming that by the end of the year yeah. still. But it, yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, whenever, whenever your children are my age, because, you know, I doubt I'll have kids, but, um, so yeah, Miles thoughts by June 16th this year, $1,745 and 78 cents for Bitcoin is not an unrealistic number No, because at the time we're recording this, it's $1,391 and 30 cents on Coinbase. Yeah, but I doubt it's going to crash to under a hundred between now no, and then. No, that's but not it good. I, I, no, it's got twenty-one billion dollar market cap. That ain't going to happen. But those numbers you're talking about, I don't think they're out of line. I mean, I'm a futurist. I like Bitcoin. I think ten thousand dollars a Bitcoin is highly reasonable. But then you know, I believe in unicorns and ponies and all that stuff. So don't take my word for it. Yeah, Miles is planning to finance his retirement with Bitcoin. Um, oh gosh yes please <laughs> <laughs> all right seth new future news story number two all righty mark zuckerberg sues time inc following the hack of facebook its stock price has fallen to levels below their ipo facebook has seen their share of the social media web 2.0 pie steadily fall as well um, to summarize, last week saw a massive hack of the king of social media sites. All personal data was made accessible to anyone who visited the site. Not only all posts, pictures, and messages, including ones that had been deleted for years, but also all data and metrics collected by the company and notes made about any user. Not only was it made public, but it was up for over 24 hours as Facebook was first unaware, then unable to take it down. The hack was so bad that Facebook was forced to pull the net pull network connections to all servers hosting the site. The big winner was myspace.com, which has seen a surge in traffic and unique visitors starting in the hours after the hack. While Facebook is back up and returned to normal, the forensic work continues. The damage, however, seems to have been done as users continue to leave the site in droves. Early work on the hack seems to point to hackers from Russia. There is also chatter on the dark web that owners of myspace.com hired them in a last-ditch effort to grow their struggling social media site. We would like to to point out at this time it is only hearsay and nothing is proven and this is why mark is suing in civil court where the burden of proof is lower than required in a criminal setting that is terrifying to think of you imagine the sheer volume of of boob pics have that have been sent via facebook messenger uh right you know probably to married men from married women <laughs> right 
And also, it's it's common knowledge that whenever you delete something from Facebook, they only delete the pointer, but it is still there. And you know how you can set Facebook messages or notifications that will give you the specific URL anytime. If you save those messages, you could go back and access it after it was deleted. That was proven time and time again in years past. Maybe they've changed. But anyway, I just thought, you know, this is something that could happen. Why? I don't understand why you wouldn't delete data. That seems like the, I mean, I'm not a DV admin, so maybe there's something I don't know about, but it seems like the, that you would want people deleting as much data as possible to streamline your system. But then you wouldn't know them as well if you lost the data they deleted. So your picture of them wouldn't be as complete. You couldn't monetize them for as much. You don't want your cattle having thoughts you're not aware of. <laughs> well, at the risk of alienating every Facebook user out there, I will go on record of saying, I think Facebook is the America online of the internet. And it's not good for me. It's good for my grandma. It's just not for me. And it, I, its days are numbered. Uh, but it's lasted longer than I thought it would. I, I certainly wouldn't buy Facebook stock, but people who have bought Facebook stock are doing really well. So, yep. Who knows? Oh, yeah. So, so what do you think? I mean, think this could happen? Um, unfortunately, yes. I think that that is entirely possible. <laughs> Somebody from, because I had to research because the last I heard Justin Timberlake owned, uh, MySpace, but he apparently sold his shares for like a dollar. Um, but Time <laughs> and a taco. Inc. Yeah. Time Inc. is the owner of Facebook, uh, or I mean, is the owner of MySpace. And so, uh, of course, anybody, if they were going to do it, hopefully they would be smart enough to not use any electronic means to communicate that. You know, so, hey, Mr. Camille. Um, Anyway, that, that, those are our future network stories. Let us know in the feedback, guys, how close did we come to predicting future events? Um, and I just, you know, we can't really do warm-up stuff because we're not here, but I wanted to give you all something other than the 10-minute tirades. All right. I think, you're, I think you're right. I mean, between now and July the 14th, something big will get hacked. June 14th. June 14th. I'm sorry. Yes. June 14th. Yes, hacks yes, will happen. Hacks that's will a safe, happen. That's a safe prediction. Yep. So, you know, you heard it here first. Well, uh, you all right. You heard it here last. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you heard it here three weeks ago, six that's weeks it. ago, something yeah. like that. You heard something here <laughs> anyway. <laughs> They're hearing too much of us right now. Um, all right. It is time to uh, begin our 10-minute tirade. Um, this is 10-minute tirade take two. As uh, Miles and I had tried to do this previously, but the internet gods didn't want us to do it without Seth. So Seth is now back, and uh, as the rules of the 10-minute tirade go, Miles will have 10 minutes to say whatever he wants to say to rant on any subject. We will then have 10 minutes between Seth and and myself to discuss it, and then the show will be over. Uh, So here we go, beginning now. Right. Summary. CCTV surveillance footage is bogus. Let me now explain. Right, so um, I have a bunch of uh, rental properties that all happen to be on the same street, and they all share a common alleyway at the back of each building. So these are multi-unit properties. And uh, the alleyway is public, uh, provided by the city of Phoenix, um, and all the tenants use it for you know, bringing their cars around the back of the building and parking them in the covered parking areas that are there. 
we also have a, uh, the location of where these properties are about maybe two blocks away from a um, a waterway. Um, it's kind of like an aqueduct system that serves the city of Phoenix with water. And unfortunately, whenever you've, you're in a city and you've got that sort of a waterway, it tends to attract a lot of homeless people. Well, homeless people are often homeless because they have a drug habit. So what we were finding was that um, we were getting a lot of uh, perpetrators, vagrants, or I'm not sure what you would call them, coming into the back of the properties and breaking into people's cars, breaking into the laundry uh, units. We have like coin-operated laundry units back there. So we installed about 30 CCTV cameras that span this area. Um, over the years, they've been there for about 10 years. All the tenants uh, are made aware of these cameras before they move in. Uh, in fact, I would say 95% of the tenants um, and actually like the fact the cameras are there because it's looking after their vehicles, looking after their personal property. Um, you always get the odd one that sort of thinks of it as a privacy thing, um, and I get that. I mean, I'm not a fan of uh, surveillance where it's not necessary, but in a public area, uh, it's probably the appropriate thing to do. Um, the one reason we did this was that we looked at some studies, and I found one that I cited from Cornell University in a 2008 study, uh, determining whether CCTV cameras actually deter crime. And what they found, and I'll quote the article, studies included in the systematic review indicate that CCTV has a modest but significant desirable effect on crime and is the most effective in reducing crime in parking lots, uh, specifically when targeted at vehicle crimes, largely a function of the successful parking lot schemes and is more effective in reducing crime in the UK than in any other country. So I use that as justification to put these cameras up. So here's the thing. We've had a few little events over the years with these cameras uh, where people have actually tried to break into vehicles. One of them, which uh, was quite interesting to watch, uh, we had two people, a, a man and a woman, break into a car, uh, a car which we tracked them coming into the alleyway, parking down one end, immediately turning around, going to the car and effectively breaking in. And this was in broad daylight. This happened at about 2.30 in the afternoon on a weekend. Um, what was concerning was that the woman, when she got out of the car, she was kind of like staying in the car to do the getaway while the guy broke into the vehicle. Well, he had a lot of trouble breaking in. And as a result, she eventually got antsy, got out of the car and came around to assist him. And what we saw on the camera when she did that is she's holding a 9mm Glock. So immediately, I've now got an armed robbery going on on a parking lot. Well, thankfully, no tenant was uh, came out to go to their car at that time. They were safe. Anyway, we kind of felt like we had some video evidence that we could give to police uh, that would help them do their job. The reason why this is kind of a bit of a rant is that that video evidence, which was authentic, that we took from our cameras and we gave the to the police on uh, CD, media, or whatever it was, what amazed me was how the law enforcement reacted to being given video footage. Uh, what they did was they basically said, this is great, we love this, give it to us, give us as much of this as you can possibly give us, this will help us do our job. 
In fact, what I actually found it doing was this helped them not have to do their job because they could just take whatever I gave them and immediately just use that, book that into evidence and just assume that that was fact. Um, what concerns me is I'm a technologist, as probably a lot of people are on the show, who are listening to our show, um, and we all know how photos can be doctored, right? We know how video footage can be staged, can be acted, can be edited, can be faked. And what was surprising to me was how willing law enforcement is to accept video evidence without any form of requirement of the person giving it to them to actually show it as being authentic. Because I'm not exactly sure how you show it as actually being authentic. If you, you know, a bad guy wanted, they could stage a video uh, camera set up and have anybody pretend to break into anybody else to defraud an insurance claim, to get somebody in trouble who didn't do anything. Um, you know, this stuff can happen. And it's something that we can do. It's not complicated to set up a, a get an actor to do something. Um, as I started realizing this, I started realizing that the judges love seeing video and photographic evidence, particularly when it comes down to um, uh, damage, criminal damage on property. Um, it, they just seem to love it. And again, there's no sense of obligation on behalf of whoever's submitting it to prove that it's real. And as much as I would have more of a hard time trying to prove it was real, I'd at least want somebody to say, well, we'll look at it, but we're not necessarily sure whether we'll accept it. So I realized that the whole thing comes down to human beings and the fact that what they see, they believe. And that's really what this comes down to. If you see something with your own eyes, you believe it to be authentic. And if I can take a video footage and I'm skeptical about whether it's real or not, I would think that this plays out in all forms of television and media that we're all subject to uh, to watching, um, whether it be footage of beatings of people, whether it be footage of sarin gas attacks in Syria, whether it's footage of of any sort of incident like that, it can easily be doctored and changed or staged or edited. And we, the people, don't seem to have any form of criticism against the authenticity of any of this footage. And I think what's happening is that we're, we're going down a very slippery slope where we take video on board as being 100% authentic. We don't question it. And we end up changing public policy. We change the minds. We change the decision-making of all of us because half of the time, the, the media is spinning that content to us because they're motivated by profit. They want to sell advertising. They want clickbait. They want to sell print magazine, whatever it might be. They want to sell something based on your reaction to the video. And what I'm saying is in a world of the 21st century where video footage can be edited and uh, can be easily doctored, we now more than ever have to take a trust and verify attitude to video footage rather than accepting anything blindly, uh, particularly when it comes to news media. I don't believe that we have a level of scrutiny when it comes to editorial content over journalists right now, particularly when it comes to video. If it's there and it's on footage and it looks good, just print it. 
and we'll leave it up to the public to decide. I can tell you right now, the public's just going to take it as is and not decide anything. If they see it with their own eyes, that's truth apparently. So that's my rant. I want us to do trust and verify on video footage. Back to you, Mark. Well, you know, there there is the old expression, the camera doesn't lie. But, uh, you know, we uh, have a multi-billion dollar industry of people proving that wrong every day. Um, Seth, what are your thoughts? Okay, well, first of all, the police taking something from you doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, it can be used as background, but there's chain of custody that, you know, they wouldn't be able to use that evidence that you handed them alone to convict anybody because there's no proof that that evidence actually came from that camera because there's no legally verifiable paper trail of how it got to that from that camera to you you can say you did it and maybe you know you could do an affidavit oath or something like that but as it is it could be used as background maybe you could use it as a warrant but just that evidence you know point someone in the right direction but you couldn't use that evidence to legally convict someone but then again it doesn't in some ways it almost doesn't matter what the legal system says because that evidence could be used to destroy someone in the court of public opinion so i'm i'm with you we do need to verify but just because the police took it doesn't mean that that's evidence in an actual crime or it might not it might be evidence but it might not be used to convict merely for background yeah, I would I would agree with you um, in that, that that was my assumption. But my actual experience was that when they took the footage, it was kind of like, oh, great, now we don't have to do any work. Just pass it down the line. We'll give it to prosecution. They didn't even question it. It was just, oh, it's video. It's got to be right. And, and that's, uh, that's where the problem lies. Well, I, I so, think okay. that uh, the people, when you talk about the court of public opinion, Seth, uh, People look at video to reinforce what they already believe. I, 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 I would dare say that there's been only a handful of cases ever in the history of film that video footage has actually changed anyone's mind in the public. Um, you know, a good example is the the Rodney King uh, uh, case. You know, I, I interestingly, my my brain uh, uh, programmed by the media wanted to call that the Rodney King beatings, but the court said no said that wasn't the case they said that when they examined the the footage it was actually not a brutal thing and and he was uh he was the the police were not punished but in the court of public opinion white cops beat a black guy on film uh therefore it was reality but when it was all actually broken down and a a jury of his peers looked at it they said no that really wasn't the case um, so I, I think that just sort of buttresses the point that video only su- serves to um, um, reinforce what people already believe. Yeah, but the, the public outcry from that incident caused mass riots throughout the city of Los Angeles and many other cities, too. Would video have um, made any difference, though? I mean, a black man accused uh, white cops of beating him. Would would that, that outcry would have been there anyway? Well, it I, I don't know. That was one of the first instances where somebody actually had, uh, you know, a camera to capture it. Um, I have a feeling that the level of outcry and what went down as a result of that was directly related to the fact that it was video. 
rather than somebody wrote about it in an article. When it's not, when somebody writes about it, it's somebody's interpretation and people might dismiss it or they might not pay as much attention. But when you see it with your own eyes, that's when the society turns violent and, and all of a sudden this stuff just goes over the top. So you see, and that was also, that was the narrative that was released with the video set the tone for the video, because if somebody from the defense had released it and said, see where this video looks here. But if you look here, you see that these actually hit the car and these hit his arm, you know? And so it was the, it was the video was used to reinforce a narrative that, you know, if, if it bleeds, it leads. So, um, there wasn't any type of scrutiny and you know you could almost say it was malfeasance on the part of the news media because of the the um propaganda value of it versus released for truth well you know interesting uh you were talking about faking things. Uh, what came to my mind there was those ghost hunter videos that you see on television where you hear on the video you'll hear and and somebody uh, then they put under the uh, they put some text uh, that says, you killed my baby. Uh, and it doesn't sound anything like that, but because you saw the words, now that's all you can hear every time you hear that. Uh, we are programmable machines, all of us. Um, and Seth, I think you make a great point. The narrative fits the picture and, and, the, and the, the video just backs it up. Miles, you, you went to the police accusing people of Grand Theft Auto uh, or whatever it was, uh, uh, armed robbery. And the video backed up your accusation rather than saying, I've got some video here. Look at it and tell me what you think. Yeah, but I mean, okay, look, a couple of buddies you meet at the bar and you say, look, I've got this thing. I want to shoot this video. I've got this camera up here. Can you do this? And here's a fake gun. Go there, do this thing, get filmed. I got the footage. Now I, give, I call up the police and go, so-and-so broke into a car and here's evidence. Well, it's not even so-and-so. That was staged. Well, you just did the entire plot of, of Captain America Civil War. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of history of, of this sort of thing going on that is pre-video. What I'm wondering is how much of the current events are going on with video using the exact same techniques of, of faking things, but doing it in a staged manner. So is a preponderance of video uh, a, a, a a buffer against this sort of thing? I'm thinking the Arab Spring a couple of years ago where there were uh, dozens of, of uh, handy handheld phone video footage of the things that went on there. Um, it would it, it seems impractical to fake all of that. So is the answer more video? Well, I don't know, but a lot of what triggered all of those events, if you remember the um, footage WikiLeaks had released of that helicopter, the gunship thing that killed a bunch of journalists. Right. And they caught the whole thing on – I can't remember what they called that. They caught it all on video, and it went out viral, and the next thing you know, Arab Spring. It was almost like it was all interlinked at the same time. And – I don't know. At what point do you say that was – well, that would be hard to stage, I guess, right? It's hard. Not everyone's got a helicopter gunship in Baghdad that they can pull video from. I don't know. Maybe video games certainly do a pretty good job of staging this sort of thing. I just don't know at what point that would be considered non-authentic. Um, but there are so many – I mean, I'm not a – I don't necessarily believe this to be the case – 
But after this recent sarin gas attack that happened in uh, Syria, in which uh, Trump, 48 hours later, launched 59 missiles uh, into Syria from a US warship, I don't know what the trigger point was other than video footage of children dying due to gas attacks. But I did see some evidence from various players that that footage may have been from an earlier time, from 2013, or that it may have had some form of staging. And if you consider the players that are involved in this, you know, who have got a long history of manipulating media, Russia is a great example of that. I mean, the whole Politburo thing. Um, I'm not sure whether this is something that Look, I don't know the inner circles of whether or not they did the appropriate thing to determine this to be authentic or not, but the reaction to it was was visceral. It was really hardcore reaction to this, triggered from, let's face it, a video. If that video was not authentic, oh, no, look what just happened. So I'm just concerned that we react so quickly on things before we actually do anything to do any sort of verification on Seth, what are your thoughts? I mean, I have to agree with them because, like I say, just video is a blank slate because in a lot of times all you see is video and you don't have the audio that goes along with it. So in steps the rebel with a cause who is crafting an audio to make that video say whatever they want it to say. And unfortunately, you know, in our two second news cycle, we don't have time or we don't have the energy or we don't have the desire to see if what was done is true. You know, hey, let's bomb them because, you know, he's a dictator and all dictators are bad. We're going to bomb them. And uh, so therefore, anything that says, hey, gas children. Well, I mean, you know, it's for the children. We got to kill them now. It doesn't matter what the truth is. Yeah, so Miles, literally in, is that in in the eighty seconds remaining? Um, do do you think that uh, the proliferation of video, as is common in Europe and becoming more common in the U.S., uh, is a is a negative in this case, or do you think it will? I mean, you you still have cameras. Are you going to keep those cameras just because they could be faked? Or, yeah, if or any, get rid of if, them? what I can't determine statistically is how many uh, criminal activities the cameras thwarted by the fact that they were there. Um, I can't get statistics on what didn't happen. I can only say statistically this is what did happen. I can compare it over time, and we've seen a dramatic reduction in, in uh, crime as a result of what we think may be the cameras. Um, I think they serve a purpose. I mean, I think that as a deterrent, they're extremely valuable. But I think that the reaction to video footage has to be something that we need to, to be – we need to take a breath, we need to step back – and think, is this real? Because we're, we're living in a world right now where our leaders tend to have gut reaction to things and tend to react extremely quickly to things. And the last thing in the world I would want to see is um, a, a, some sort, somebody with power who makes an incorrect decision based on an over-exaggerated reaction. All right, and that's it. We're out of time. We cannot discuss it anymore. By the rules of the game, the discussion is over. Now, Seth, what do you have this week to lower my productivity, thus making you look like a better hiring option? 
Alrighty. Well, this is one of my favorite games all time. Now, it uses Flash, so if you have Flashbox, it may or may not work. Flashgamesbase.com, and this is Tetris, but it uses real bricks. So, um, it looks sort of like you're building between these two buildings with bricks that fall from the sky. Um, it also has sound, so beware. You just click play, and then you have your um, arrows and volume keys to fix the bricks. I can't test this because I don't have Flash installed on my well, browser. There you go. Ditto. Oh <laughs> Flash. <laughs> All right, that's it. That is our 10-minute tirade. We'll be back in uh, two weeks uh, from this, and then you can tell us what you think by going to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button. You can go ahead and respond to this now, but it's going to be a few weeks before we hear back uh uh, you hear back from us. So uh, elementopi.com, click the contact us button, send an email to geekrant at elementopi.com, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks because that's it for this abbreviated episode of the Geek Rant. Oh, and I had a great this week in history too. Oh, I'm sorry. Should I go back and uh, go ahead? We, I haven't stopped uh, the recording. Seth, what happened oh. this week in history? All right. On June the 11th, 1978, T.I. announces their Speak and Spell. So Texas Instruments, Inc. introduced Speak and Spell, a talking learning aid for ages 7 and up. Its debut marked the first electronic duplication of the human vocal tract on a single chip of silicon. Speak and Spell utilized linear predictive coding to formulate a mathematical model of the human vocal tract and predict a speech sample based on previous input. It transformed digital information processing through a filter into synthetic speech and could store more than 100 seconds of linguistic sound. That happened this week in history. And now back to you, Mark. And it sounded creepy. Creepy and scary and frightened more children than entertained. <laughs> it is a classic device, though, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Uh, E.T. wouldn't have been the same without it. Right. <laughs> okay, now that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant.